Welcome to Pullback. I'm Kyla and I'm here with my friend Kristen. Hello! Trying to be a good person can be overwhelming in our complex global marketplace. In this podcast, we try to make it a little easier by looking at the details behind consumer movements, product labels, and ethical lifestyles. Each episode, we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption, and then we tell you what we learned, fuck-ups and all. This episode is going to be a little bit different, though. Uh, (laughs) um, I think everybody maybe has heard, I don't know, Kristen, if you know, uh, but we are experiencing a pandemic right now. What? I don't know if you know, but I was just released from like German Big Brother, so. <laughs> um, I I I know that we both thought it would be a good idea to maybe put out an episode about this, but everything is evolving so quickly that I had a hard time personally thinking of what to say. I feel a little bit overwhelmed. Like, what about you? Yeah, yeah. Um, and not just because social distancing is really hard. Um, <laughs> Also, yeah, I'm worried that we're going to say something and then, I mean, even before we've finished editing, um, the news will have changed and then forget about people trying to listen in like weeks or months later. Yeah, so that's how I feel. And also, um, everything's been changing so rapidly that I had a bit of a, like, anxiety attack last night, honestly. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it is very (laughs) stressful, yeah. And it's and it's not just me, like it's everybody. Yes. So uh, I feel like personally, when this whole thing started to really catch steam, I would say, what, at the end of February, it started to really pick up here in the news cycle and everyone's starting to like worry a little bit more. I was a lot more flippant about it. I was a little bit mm-hmm. snotty. I was a little bit like, I was one of those like people, it's like, it's just the flu, whatever. Why is everyone freaking out about it? And obviously now I've come around and I'm like, oh, okay, I understand why it's a big deal. I understand why doctors and scientists are like, this is why we need to practice social distancing and why we need to shut stuff down and why we need to worry about it as a pandemic. But because I've come around to it, now I feel a lot more stressed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been a big change. It really feels like um, Friday the 13th was sort of the day that, at least in my perspective, everything started to change. Like close uh, stores started to close and um, people started to panic a little bit and they'd work from home. And it's really been less than a week because we're recording on, is it Wednesday? What day of the week is it? Yeah, the with the 18th. <laughs> I've, yeah. lost, I've lost all sense of what time it is and what day it is. Oh, I know. I I can't leave my house now. So like, what even is time? Yeah. And I usually <laughs> feel that way. So now it's true. Like, I, I every single day I wake up and there's some crazy new news. Um, mm-hmm. For the first week, um, All of the news was coming from my various jobs telling me that I would not be welcome there anymore. (laughs) Like, the the film industry is shut down, so uh, background isn't doing anything, and a lot of other people in that industry are are just kind of hanging out at home wondering how they're going to pay their rent next month. And it's a bad time to be a tour guide. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah, it's not the best. <laughs> and that was kind of my main my main thing. And I had I had a bunch of big tours uh, scheduled this month, so I had taken a bunch of time off of my third filler job, and then my tours got canceled. And then my filler job, which is retail, they closed down and they announced that they would be paying everybody for the next two weeks of wages. But because I had taken the time off for my tour guide job, I actually am getting nothing. So that sucks. 
Well, it's complicated. It's not just me. It's it's so many yes. other people. Yesterday was the last day that our shop was open. And all I could see all around me was anxiety. Mm-hmm. I, I heard somebody on the phone talking to a friend of theirs just saying, I'm waiting to get laid off. They're going to lay me off sometime in the next two or three days because I'm an events manager who manages a co-working space. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not even part of this conversation. And I'm like stressed out for this poor woman. <laughs> and I had a guy come in. And I was trying to help him find something and he was having a full-on panic attack. Uh, he was just like, I just really need this book and we didn't have it, even though it said we we should. So it's just, yeah, everybody is is stressed out. I, I don't know. Are we not? I feel like we could be getting better guidance from our government. Am I wrong? Um, No, but I do think that I, I've so far been pretty comfortable with like the health advice, at least that we've been receiving. Um, But uh, yeah, yeah. I I agree with you that there's still quite a lot of uncertainty around this, how how this is going to affect people economically. And and not just like the long term, like, does this plunge us into a recession or not, but also like the very practical, what happens if I my hours are all cut? Um, You know, what happens if I get laid off that kind of thing? Um, But uh, the other thing I want to add, though, is so I've done some emergency response and I've studied emergency management um, as part of my dissertation. And what I can say is that this is the phase of an emergency where everything's a clusterfuck. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) honestly, even the most competent officials are really just trying to keep their head above water because the situation is so fluid. There's so much change. So I know this is really hard when you're trying to like focus on those very real concerns and uncertainties, but everything will look a little bit less chaotic in a week. That's not to say that the government will actually handle the concerns in the ideal way. They may not, but we'll at least have more certainty and everything will be a little bit less um, confusing in a week. I mean, honestly, the sun came out today and I went for a walk and I feel better. (laughs) Last night was just, it was, we got the news that the shops were closing and then I still had to go work my shift. And every time somebody finished their, their shift, they, over the radio, it was just like, well, goodbye, I guess. (laughs) Like, I don't know when I'm going to see you guys again. (laughs) So I think that added to the stress. And then on the way home, one of my younger coworkers, she was like, Kyla, I'm scared. And I was like, we shouldn't be scared, but also like fear is almost more contagious than the virus. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really true. And I think it's a really useful perspective to have because a lot of people are definitely my Twitter feed is all sort of people working from home and they have like particular pressures too. But I think it's important to remember like the variety of situations there are out there. People that have had their hours cut back, people that own small businesses that don't know how they're going to continue keeping them. Even sort of like the gig workers that are working way more hours than they've worked before and are afraid of contracting the virus because they're out there working for low pay and delivering the stuff that we're ordering online now. Yeah, like it doesn't really matter who you are. This is really affecting everybody and causing mass social stress. <laughs> yes, I very nearly. So I'm in the middle of moving, uh, which is not the I, a, ba- a pandemic is not the ideal time to be arranging a move from one city to another. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I very nearly had my train canceled. Uh, fortunately, I found out that the cancellation started the next day, but there was the website was not super clear. And I had 
about a minute and a half where I was just sort of like panicking, but it all worked out. <laughs> I think a lot of the the stress of all of this is just how quickly everything is changing and how it feels like I don't trust the information that I'm getting because the information that we're getting has been changing from day to day. So like, yeah. first it was like, well, this tour is canceled, but the other tours are going to still go forward. And then two days later, actually all tours are canceled for the next two months. Or like, the store is not going to close. Everyone's going to be fine. Don't worry. We're not going to close until the government tells us to. And then like three days later, just kidding, actually, we're going to close because honestly, it's the right choice. But the, the, the mishmash of different contradicting information that we're getting is, I think adding to the stress. And it's hard because like nobody knows what the right thing to do is. So it's not like I can really blame them for not knowing what to say. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But it, that doesn't make it any less frustrating or stressful. And I think that's true of everybody. Uh, I think everybody's stressed out from the just the evolving situation. It's hard to follow. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I think as well, now that workers that are working from home are like, in some cases into their second week now of doing that, it, you know, being in close quarters with family members, that can also be another source of stress. And those feelings are really real. And you, you sort of have to give yourself permission to feel them. Uh, but what I would say is try to try to keep a routine to the best extent that you can, um, because people are really sort of that can help to ground you in a really good way. Uh, remember to take time to enjoy things, whether that's going for a walk outside and just staying uh, two meters away from people, or <laughs> if you like going for a bike ride, that's, I rescued my bike today right before the mech closed, and so I'm planning to, <laughs> to hit up some trails, um, or even like, you know, I guess people have probably binged their share of Netflix already, but enjoying that, enjoying food that you like, um, that can really help you to be resilient mentally in what may be a long disaster. Yeah, and and I feel like I've been talking to a lot of my family and friends, and I feel like a lot of the frustration is that I think a lot of people still don't understand why everything is shutting down, why we need to close borders, why we need to work from home. A lot of the feedback that I'm getting is still very much like, well, it's just a flu and it's less lethal than X, Y, or Z and we're overreacting. And it's like, well, maybe we're overreacting, but wouldn't it be better to like overreact and be wrong than to underreact and be wrong? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm sure lots of people have heard the the term flattening the curve lately. It's been something that everyone's been authorities have been trying to really get out there. But part of the reason that we're taking such drastic measures is to try to make sure, first of all, even though COVID-19 is less lethal than some other diseases, it's very contagious. So trying to make sure that you don't have thousands of deaths in Canada like there have been in other countries. Um, and then secondly, that if we do have lots of cases of coronavirus-19, uh, that um, our healthcare systems aren't overwhelmed. So giving them time to adapt, making sure that we sort of spread out the cases so that there isn't a shortage of beds and ventilators, because that means that people die that don't need to die. And I think that's just, if you're frustrated with the limitations that have been placed on your life, that's fair, that's totally valid. And it's up to the government to provide some uh, relief to you from that. And if they don't, then it's okay to feel frustrated with that. 
Um, but on the other hand, um, what you're doing is it's good for vulnerable communities around you. So you're, you're, you're helping to prevent like your mom or your grandma from dying. Just think about it that way. So I think uh, what we had planned to do was to, we each identified three champions and three problems with uh, COVID-19 as the pandemic sort of rolls out. And I think we were going to do the sandwich technique. So start with positivity and end with positivity. (laughs) So (laughs) do you want to start with your three champions? Yeah, sure. So when when you rolled this kind of, I guess, challenge out to me as a suggestion for this bonus episode, you left it purposefully vague, hoping that we wouldn't choose the same three champions and bad guys. <laughs> or, we probably will. But. Yeah, yeah. So um, I actually came up with a few champions. Um, I would like to, I guess, recognize all the companies who sh- shut down, like, pretty much right away while still paying their workers. Uh, Whistler. Um, Patagonia. <laughs> Patagonia. Apple. Lush. <laughs> yeah. Um, anybody who it was looking after their workers and their customers by trying to, the best way to social distance is to not invite people into your store if you're not an essential service. So, you know, shout out to those guys. Uh, and the same goes for prisons and retirement homes canceling visits because the last place you want an outbreak is a retirement home, a prison, or a cruise ship. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> yes. Or, and actually, this is a problem that I forgot to identify, but emergency shelters. Oh, uh, yeah. Quebec announced yesterday that they were like, yeah, if floods happen, we're obviously not doing emergency shelters because waves at coronavirus. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> They're basically saying municipalities, you have to start identifying university dorms and hotels right now in case we have flooding, but almost nowhere else is doing that yet. Anyway, sorry, not to jump on your champions. No, no, but that's, that's a really good point. Um, but yeah, shout out to all of the, the companies that just decided to do the right thing. Uh, and also, of course, I think some champions that deserve, uh, I'm sure that you would mention this too, but the doctors and nurses and everybody who's working the front lines and has to have to like mm-hmm. be exposed to this. Actually, in the UK... Uh, the NHS called up my friend's mom, who is 70, uh, and a retired nurse, and we're like, hey, do you want to come back to work? And she's like, I have a pre-existing condition, and I'm 70. No, I don't want to come back to work. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you t- only told That's me to funny. name, like, three, but I kind of counted the shutdowns as one, and the doctors and nurses as one. Um, and then I have, I actually have two more. I'm cheating. Uh, but... I knew you would <laughs> no really worries. like one of them. So the the third one that I identified was that global travel shutting down and industry shutting down is like really good for climate change, unless industry mm-hmm. springs back in like the most aggressive way possible when this all dies down and then it undoes all of the good. But I'm sure everyone has seen like the memes of the Venice canals looking clear for the first time in ages. And Although uh, China has ramped down uh, environmental protections to stimulate growth, so they're I knew Basically that was producing more coal now. Yeah, so in Italy it's good, but in China they're kind of <laughs> offsetting the good that was previously done. That's what I was reading is that it might it like it looks good right now, but it might just be a slingshot that we're uh, on the back end of like. But I do have I do have one other really good uh, champion, and that's a a, a brewery in mm. the United Kingdom called BrewDog. Uh, they started manufacturing hand sanitizer and they're supplying it for free to hospitals and frontline workers. 
That's so amazing. I, need to I something love that. You'd like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, Kristen loves breweries. <laughs> I do love breweries. Everyone on this, like, everyone that listens must think I'm such a lush. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Brewdog, they're that um, my friend in the UK told me about that, and I thought it was such a nice story that I mm-hmm. added them to my my list of champions. Nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 What about you? Uh, okay. Uh, so the first one that I have is uh, economic rights for wage workers. That's a problem. So the UN today estimated that COVID-19 could push 25 million or more workers into unemployment, underemployment, and working poverty. <laughs> Kyla raises her hand. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be monetizing this podcast pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Buy our t-shirts. Um, <laughs> So overall, they estimated that workers stood to lose $3.4 trillion in income by the end of the year. And uh, I mean, I think that this this crisis is really, it's really underscored how little protection uh, a lot of wage workers have. So that can be stuff as basic as sick leave, right? Like that is not something that's guaranteed in most Canadian provinces. Only Quebec and PEI require paid sick leave. Um, and so a lot of workers that contract um, COVID-19 either have to, like, they have to make a really difficult choice of do I go to work while I'm sick and potentially kill people if work from home isn't an option, or do I stay home and potentially not be able to pay my rent, get evicted maybe, um, not be able to feed my family, which is, like, that's just a really tough choice to have to make. And if you think that that's not very many people, I want to underscore, so there's research that the Toronto Star did recently that found just 20% of the work leave that's taken by low-wage earners in Toronto is paid. So that's a really significant problem. And then you add to that the fact that most retail shops have closed. Sorry, Kyla, you were going to say something. No, you. and I was just going to say, like, even if now the government has rolled out um, EI for people who contract the virus, but... EI is half of your wages. It's 55% of your earnings. If you're a minimum wage worker, minimum wage is yeah. already so far below what the living wage is. In, in Vancouver, the living wage is $19 an hour and the minimum wage is $13.85. So can you tell me how a person who is out of work with coronavirus is supposed to survive on, what, $8 an hour wages? Like, And most of the time, you're not getting full time when you're making minimum wage. Yes. Yeah. So... That's a a really big problem that I don't think, I don't, I mean, I guess we'll see what some of the more of the details are of the, like the aid package that was just announced today, but I don't think that it's effectively addressing that problem. So that's problem number one for me. Um, Problem number two for me is also about labor. Um, So it's about independent contractors and gig workers, um, which are, I mean, Independent contractors is sort of like a wider term um, for people that are sort of self-employed, but gig workers are sort of more specifically the people that are working for generally low wages for gig economy companies like Uber, Lyft, Foodora, and Skip the Dishes. And what I think is really interesting about COVID-19 is that it's underscored at the same time how essential these workers are. Um, but also how very little protection we in society give them. So 
gig economy companies claim that gig workers aren't their employees, um, but rather they're independent contractors. And they use that as a way to not have to provide them the same protections that they do for employees. So that that includes like economic protections, but it also includes stuff like making sure their work environment is safe, which in a pandemic is something you really fucking want, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't want the guy who's delivering your skip the dishes to be sick with coronavirus right like yeah but i mean more so for them right like it's it's way more of a risk for the food deliverer that they're going to contract it from dealing with like they're seeing a lot more people than you you know you just answer the door and you talk to one dude they have to go to what a hundred doors a day now right yeah and like unless he sneezes on you in the course of your interaction which seems super unlikely like you can just wash your hands after you pick up the the package and you're fine you know maybe wipe down the outsides (laughs) So it's really easy for you to manage your risk, but this guy who's got to go out um, and deliver lots of packages to lots of different people and be in public spaces and probably be on public transport. um, Handle cash. Yeah, and just touch all kinds of things that other people have touched. Like, it's (laughs) really high risk of contracting the virus. And so I I do want to highlight that there's been some movement to change the status of gig workers. And hopefully this will be sort of a catalyzing moment for us to realize that they are employees and Uber should have to treat them as such. Um, But right now, these cases are kind of still going through the courts. Some Uber drivers in Ontario tried to join a union, and we will see whether they're allowed to do that. Um, They they joined the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. So remains to be seen whether that will be allowed to to continue, whether they can unionize or, or not. But uh, hopefully good things are on the horizon. That'll be interesting to see. So there are some other problems with the social protection. So first of all, most gig workers don't have access to federal benefits like EI. And uh, the aid package that the government announced does include independent contractors. So that is a really good thing. Um, but we'll wait to see whether it's actually sufficient. The other thing is that by d- definition, there's no sick leave or um, economic leave for these workers. So Again, that same choice of do I go to work sick or do I stay home and lose my income? It's a really big problem. Um, And at the same time, there's a a higher demand for many gig worker services as a result of uh, coronavirus. Um, So we'll see. One of the things that I thought of um, while I was sort of thinking of the problems was this ethical question of should social distancing include online ordering from like both a health and an ethical perspective. And that's first because um, ordering online increases the risk that deliverers will contract um, COVID-19. Um, and they're actually delivery workers are among the highest risk of contracting the virus. They're sort of right up there with health workers because they're contacting so many people. Uh, there was a, a good quote that I, I found in one of the articles I was reading, um, which is that delivery people are braving a germ-filled world when people of means would rather not, which... I think just sort of underscores the the courage that it takes, even though for many of these people, there's not really a choice. Um, but it really, delivery workers deserve our reverence right now. Um, and on the other hand, there's this tricky question of, like, not ordering hurts workers too, because then it cuts into their income, right? So these aren't people that have, like, an hourly wage guaranteed to them. So there was a, an ethicist called Carissa Valise who um, she said the following about the ethics of ordering. Society always relies on a minority of people to carry out risky or unpleasant jobs that not everyone is willing to do. 
To be ethical, ideally, those people should be paid more than others who have more comfortable jobs. And obviously, that's not how our society is structured right now. And I think part of what we owe to gig economy workers right now is just to think about that a little more and to carry that idea forward when the pandemic is over into how we approach workers' protections. Uh, so having said that, so there's this really good Guardian article that talks about the ethics of um, ordering online during the pandemic. And uh, for part of it, they interviewed actual couriers to, to see what they thought. And one of them said whether or not you order won't change the calculus for workers um, who have no choice but to do it either way. So the best you can do is be considerate, which is it's kind of obvious, but I, I, I liked the reframing of the question. It's not should you order online or not. It's, you know, just be a, a, be a nice person. So generally, what does that mean in terms of ordering online during COVID? The first one is just treat couriers kindly, which you should always do, but <laughs> especially now. <laughs> um, so be patient with delays because um, they're under pressure more than ever and leave a good rating. Uh, secondly, tip well, especially well. You should always tip well, but especially now tip well. Um, and tip electronically if that's possible, because that'll reduce um, one way that the virus could be transmitted from you to them. Three, practice social distancing so it's safer for them. It also happens to be safer for you, so that works out, but mostly for them. Uh, if you're going to order online, uh, health specialists recommend leaving food that um, the courier leave the food at the door, um, and uh, that way, you know, you don't have physical contact, but you can also sort of just be at a far distance from one another if you want to see the person face-to-face, -face, uh, if that's something that's important for you. Uh, next, convey your ethical concerns to the companies that you're ordering from. Ask if workers' jobs are being made as safe as possible and if they can take sick leave. If you decide to boycott, let those companies know why you're boycotting, otherwise it doesn't really have an impact. And lastly, try ordering from a local business. So I'm going to give, even though this is the depressing part of the conversation, I'm going to give a nice shout out. Um, so if you live in Edmonton, there's a bookstore that's called the Glass Bookshop. Um, and they're, they're like a local independent, independent bookshop that supports a lot of local artists. And um, although they've closed their physical stores, they are still doing deliveries in the Edmonton area. So if you need books... A really good place to order from right now if you're in Edmonton is the Glass Bookshop. Um, and likewise, if you're ordering food, try ordering directly from the restaurant rather than using Uber Eats. So that was my second problem. Uh, my third problem is uh, refugees and temporary foreign workers. Um, so the problem, as I framed it, was basically with governments around the world closing their borders, um, what happens to refugees and temporary foreign workers? So that, that question is sort of, the temporary foreign workers question is kind of up in the air right now. So there's a lot of uncertainty about whether temporary foreign workers will be allowed in, um, and that could be potentially a really big problem for our food system. Uh, so a March and April are really busy months because the snow is starting to melt um, and farmers want to get seeding. So it's definitely on the government's agenda right now, and one suggestion is to allow temporary foreign workers in for agricultural jobs and to quarantine them. But it's uncertain whether that's going to happen or not. Um, and just to give you some context, there are 140,000 temporary foreign workers that work in Canada's agricultural sector alone, and that doesn't include food processing. So it is a lot of workers. The other thing is that we're in a pandemic, 
and temporary foreign workers who are part-time or between, between contracts often don't have medical coverage in Canada, which seems to me like a really big problem, not only in a pandemic, but generally. Uh, the other side that I want to just quickly mention is refugees. Uh, so I mentioned this just because we're starting to see a really shitty debate on Twitter about whether to turn back asylum seekers at the Canada-US border now that the border is closed to non-essential travel. Um, so far, the government is not barring irregular asylum seekers, um, and I think that's a really good thing, but I really wish that I didn't have to see people on Twitter arguing that asylum seekers didn't have rights, so fuck those people. Asylum <laughs> seekers are fleeing really shitty circumstances they should be allowed in. Anyway, those are my three problems. <laughs> I mean, yeah, those are really good ones. The asylum seekers one I didn't even think about. Um, although I did see that the Trump administration is talking about uh, even stricter border controls at, Mex at the Mexico border. And I mean, they didn't say this, but it sounded like they were like even stricter, like unprecedented measures. And I was like, are, are they going to just start shooting people at the border? Like, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, it's already super yeah. strict. Yes. Yeah. Not to mention the people in detention camps right now. That can't be good in a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, it's not great in normal circumstances. Um, no. Yeah, I, uh, I I didn't yeah. mean to sound uh, whiny earlier about my own situation. I was just trying to use no. it to illustrate <laughs> that because because I'm a part of like three different industries and they've all shut down. I I just feel like I I can relate to a lot more people because I'm like, oh, it's, <laughs> it's everybody's affected by this, um, and it's Absolutely. unprecedented, and we don't know if we're making the right choices or not, and we won't really know for at least another six months. Uh, hopefully, we are. I would be nice to know that. Society didn't stop for nothing. Although, I don't know, I'm all about society stopping as long as something better comes out <laughs> the other end of it, which hopefully it does. Although that slingshotting climate change thing is going to be, you know what, I was reading about how this is going to affect climate change. And it was, it's going to be interesting. Uh, the airlines are asking for bailouts. And it would be really cool if before the government gave those to them, they imposed restrictions on emissions. But uh, considering most of the bailouts are going to be coming from the United States. And right now, the administration doesn't like the environment. It's it's hard to say what's going to... Jeez, I think that this could have been a good thing if someone else had been in charge when it happened. I don't know. I know. If literally not anybody a good else, thing. but... Not a good thing. Yeah, but... not a good thing, of course. But yeah, it could have... No, like, we don't want people to die. But like, it could have... It could have led to change that we need for the climate faster than... Um, another situation, like, then nothing, you know what I mean? Like, if nothing had happened, this is basically making us look at our society and ask questions about it that we wouldn't have been doing otherwise. And if someone else had been in charge, we might have been asking better questions. I don't know if I'm phrasing no, that totally. right. No, totally. Right, certainly, we would have been asking better questions. Uh, like, the questions we're asking now are like, <laughs> did Trump lie about taking the COVID test? <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, he was like, I'm so upset. Uh, anyways, the rumors that I heard was that he was like so obsessed about keeping the reported numbers down that he was like, don't worry about testing people because yeah. the more positive cases we have, the higher the number goes. It's like, no, man, the less like the less you test people, the higher the number goes. Like, it's going to happen eventually. Do you want to look like a dick now or do you want to look like a mega dick in a week? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. What a world. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so my yeah, we, we try not to be too political, I think, on this. Like we don't we haven't really talked about Trump too much in our, our previous episodes. I just have to assume we have no Trump supporting listeners. <laughs> <laughs> or if we do, you know, you guys are welcome as well. I hope that uh, you're learning stuff. Uh, and I'm sorry for trash talking your 
favorite person. <laughs> Please keep listening. Maybe we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll win you over. <laughs> My problems that I identified were not as thoughtful as yours, uh, but I was also like <laughs> busy freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to focus on the positive stories. <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> uh, so my problems that I that I kind of identified were the, the same as you on the first one. Vulnerable, vulnerable workers have been left hanging. We'll see what this package that they announced this week is going to be like. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what to expect. I would like to be pleasantly surprised. I'm not going in pessimistic, but... Man, it would be great if they would just announce like, oh, rent is on pause. I would also love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although I did see something about the banks like deferring mortgage payments for the next six months. I don't think that that's going to be applicable for renters or for student loans. So it, I think it's indicative of how like we have a government that has a ministry for middle class prosperity, not for reducing poverty. And I think you see that in their policies. So. Yeah, which is why I'm really concerned about this package that they announced. Yeah. I was like, great, I'm sure that it's going to be really good for middle class working families and not for anybody else. But we'll see, you know. Yeah, the Canada Child <laughs> Benefit. Woof. <laughs> They've expanded that for reasons that I don't really understand. But I guess it is slightly more expensive to have your kids at home than in school, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, as, as two people without kids, I don't really want to comment too negatively on that. I'm sure that a lot of people are really grateful for it. But as somebody who's just lost three jobs, <laughs> I can only I can only really feel for the gig workers and the contractors and the retail workers who are just like who rely on an hourly wage who are no longer working. So yeah, where is the package for them? We'll see. We'll see. I don't want to be too negative because maybe tomorrow it'll be amazing and I'll I'll look like a naysayer. So we'll see. Uh, so that was my number one. My number two was the media frenzy around this. I think is causing more stress than is necessary. On the other hand, maybe it's made us act faster and it's mitigated a, f a lot of deaths. I, I guess I wouldn't really know without interdimensional goggles to look at the universe where we didn't freak out. But well, we, we are in this, the dumbest timeline, so. <laughs> how, do you, how do you feel about how the media's handled this? Um, I think it depends on what outlets you watch. So I watch CBC almost exclusively, and I have thought their coverage was fine. Yeah, they're they're pushing the sort of I mean they they're really just magnifying the like public message which the like the message of public authorities which is we want you to stay home as much as possible. But I haven't seen them sensationalizing things too much personally, but I know that other outlets do things differently and even probably local outlets of CBC have like other different coverage. I feel like anybody who gets their news exclusively from Twitter or Facebook probably is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seeing for some sure. sensational. Um, but I, you know what my problem is, is that like the, the information on this has been changing so rapidly that I don't really know who I like. I trust the CBC, but the other news that I'm getting, I don't know, you know. And then the third problem that I identified was like stockpiling. Stop yeah. it. <laughs> Orders. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Toilet paper, guys. I mean, I, I was reading an interesting article on uh, a psychology website that was basically like people when they feel like they've lost control over their lives. It's a, it's a stockpiling essential goods is a way to feel like you're taking the power back in your own life. But also like, guys, leave some toilet paper for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> 
No kidding. Also, I've been hearing stuff about like people stockpiling guns, and I really feel like there's a, a small segment of the population. So I think most people are hoarding toilet paper just because like they don't know what's going to happen. They don't want to be without, you know, which you still shouldn't do. But that at least is reasonable rationale, I guess. Um, but there's also seems to be a small segment that just thinks society's disappearing and that they're going to have guns. And I don't know. Speaking as like a woman, like <laughs> I'm all in for society <laughs> because life gets shitty when rules go away. So yeah, for uh, for us anyways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm petite. I don't know if I'd be able to take anyone on in hand to hand combat in in an apocalyptic scenario. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm not gonna stockpile guns. Plus, I've been to rely on my tap water and <laughs> yeah, also that I I haven't. No, I'm a creature of comfort. <laughs> um, I mean, as much Me as too. as much as I would love for things to change and improve, uh, especially in regards to climate change, I don't know. I don't actually want anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, what positives do you have? So, uh, yeah, I have three champions. Uh, my positives are first of all, uh, healthcare workers and uh, healthcare retirees. So, something similar to what you found. Um, so yeah, obviously healthcare workers are the front lines of the pandemic and they deserve our gratitude. Um, but there's also a number of health professionals that have retired that are volunteering surge capacity. So I guess that's happening in the UK as well. Um, but across a lot of Canadian provinces, they're bringing nurses and doctors out of retirement. So in Ontario, there are 3,000 licensed nurses that had been in retirement that are working the telehealth information line now. So they rock. Thank you. You don't have to, you didn't have to do this and you did. Um, and uh, provinces are sort of working to help this as well because partly like if you've been retired, you might not have a current license. So they're working to kind of like speed up the process of making sure everybody's licensed so they can provide healthcare safely, but also so that you have like that surge manpower that you need. So that was my first one. I think that's great. Uh, similar to yours, uh, my second one is frontline services, service workers, including gig workers. So thank you, clerks at the grocery store that make sure that I can get fed. Thank you, pharmacists that are giving people drugs. Uh, thank you, warehouse workers that we don't see, but we know you're doing lots of hours and Amazon isn't treating you super well or other companies. Uh, thank you, couriers. And thank you, taxi drivers. Um, and I'm sure I'm missing some essential frontline service workers, but y'all rock. Um, oh, also people that are keeping our, yeah, cleaners, people that keep our utilities running. Thank you. I love oh my having God, yes. electricity. I was thinking about that when I was taking a shower today. I was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you to everybody who is keeping the power and the water running. I really appreciate that. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, the last champion that I have is trust and social solidarity, which isn't so much a champion as it is like an abstract set of concepts, but <laughs> they're important. <laughs> and the thing I want to highlight for this one is that um, I saw a poll that was done by the Angus Reid Institute today, and it found that Canadians have actually, um, so first of all, they've become a lot more concerned about COVID-19 uh, since early March. So the percentage of Canadians that see the coronavirus pandemic as a serious threat increased by 26% between March 5th and March 13th. So hey, I'm in that basically number. In a that week. was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was me too, for sure. Uh, so as of last Friday, 68% see it as a serious threat. I would guess it's even higher now, um, but I don't know. And the interesting thing that this poll found is that 
as public concern is increased, public trust in institutions and government is also increased, which I think is great. So if you were to guess like how many Canadians generally trust the government's information on COVID-19, what would you guess? Mm, 70%. That's pretty close. Yeah. So um, trust and information from the federal government is 67%, and that's increased by 9% in a week. Uh, trust and information from provincial governments is 73%, so slightly higher, um, and it's increased 12 points in a week. Um, but trust from health and medical authorities is the highest, and it's at 87%. So, you know, almost everybody trusts doctors, <laughs> and that's good. <laughs> could, we could have real problems if they didn't. <laughs> So like, good, we trust, we trust the authorities mostly. Um, but also, uh, there seems to have been a pretty good commitment to follow the rules and guidelines of authorities. So that's definitely not everybody. Some people are trying to go to Cuba and whatnot. But it seems like most Canadians are taking this seriously. And um, so Toronto's medical officer of health said that within a couple hours of Ontario declaring its state of emergency, they had 96% compliance with the rules about closing bars and restaurants which is, I think, pretty awesome. That's not a very long time for, to get the word out and to have people actually taking into um, effect a new sort of rule. And like yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, which is a huge, it's a huge revenue driver yes. for bars and restaurants. So like good for them. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, um, trust and also our ability to be good citizens. Um, yeah, call to action. I don't know if I have one. Do you have one? I guess just social distance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hug with your elbows. <laughs> um, I donated to my local food bank last week. I just thought that yeah. they might need it in the near future. So if everybody can pick a charity, like if you have anything to spare, places that are going to be hit like hard that you can think of, maybe reach out to them, see if they need help. Homeless Homelessness is going to, because it's very hard to socially isolate when you don't have a home. So... A, donating to a food bank is good. Donating to a homeless shelter is also good. Also domestic violence shelters because, you know, if it's not safe to be in your house, you need to have somewhere else to go. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. This was supposed to be a short episode and I think we went on, but it's a really intense subject. So if you guys have anything you want to add to to let us or, or you want to um, inform us of or you disagree, please let us know. We are on Twitter at Pullback Podcast or you can email us at pullbackpod at gmail.com. And we will catch you next week. We will be releasing a regular episode. This one is going to be about movies, which will hopefully be a little bit more pleasant. Although we can't actually go watch any new movies right now because they've canceled (laughs) all of them. (laughs) Yeah, but we did come up with fake movie plots so people can imagine that. And what better magic is that? (laughs) Although uh, the movies episode ended up being so long that probably I'm going to make that a (laughs) two-parter. So, Fair enough. <laughs> disappointment all around. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you next time. Uh, apparently, he he says he's taking the test, but it really seems uh, like he doesn't dodgy. know how the test works. <laughs> it's a little dodgy. <laughs>